All right, we're back. Now, I'm going to, Robin wanted to speak a little bit about this song, so I'm going to keep it on. I'm going to bring it down just a little bit. Talk to us about this song. Well, if you wouldn't mind, just bring it up just a tiny sure. bit so people can really hear so that it Okay. The marching band quality. So whenever I hear this song, I think about uh, the group of, of people that attend Solstice, uh, and it's usually the song is played after the three very long days of white tantric meditation, which um, is a very special practice, not really associated with red or black tantric. And it's a it's a euphoric time, and it's when the song is played, it's 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 like a, we're jumping with joy we're dancing we've all made it together we've all this army of seekers this army of of practitioners who have gone through this journey together and so it's a song of victory and in fact i think that's what it really means is um how do you sing how do you sing Mirayan is a uh, it's a song of victory so i just wanted to you know give some small Yeah, absolutely. I have to say it's my absolute favorite piece of music from out there. I've spent years trying to find it, and I finally found it. I mean, (laughs) and I had such a special experience with it this last solstice, which had involved a thunderstorm and all this stuff. (laughs) The weather was really pretty dramatic while we were out there. Um, Now, uh, Robin, you wanted to kind of turn the tables, so to speak, on me. I do want to mention that we're open for calls at any time, and let me give you this number a couple of times. 413-545-3691, 413 Have you ever taken a religious vow? Have you ever taken a vow of any kind? What was the experience like? Would you? Are you interested in it? You know, what's, what is the experience of that kind of commitment? How does that land with you? Okay, so we're really open to hear from you. All right, now, having said that, yeah, so I just kind of wanted to dig a little deeper into this. You know, you say that your constitution is much more um, receptive to this kind of vow taking. And I just kind of wanted to uh, talk to you about that, ask some questions. So just to put it back to you, okay, so if that's the case, why don't you? I mean, let's just take the Sikh community, you really like it. Why not? Why, what's holding you back from, from going there? Well, I definitely think uh, I relate to some of what you're talking about, too. Um, Whereas this is going to set me apart a little bit, Mm. right? So, you know, I'm doing this radio show now. I'm really excited about it. The first hour is experimental radio, and it makes it's bringing back the artist in me, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how many artists that you see wear a turban and are Sikh, you know? (laughs) You do run the risk of being a novelty thing so people aren't really seeing what you're doing so much as like wow he's doing that and he has a turban folks you know he's a teacher of history and he has a turban folks you know it becomes this kind of where's waldo kind of thing where where you're just like this guy walking around in a turban everywhere and they're like wow look at the guy playing racquetball with a turban and so that's now i think i could get past that and but I think that's an aspect of it, you know. Um, well, let me ask you, what what are you drawn to? What is the fantasy for you if you do take these vows? How would your life 
be different than it is now? Yeah, I don't think, I, I wouldn't use the word fantasy because it's really grounded in like real utilitarian stuff. I, I okay, think the that- the vision. Well, the vision would be that I'm very good when limits are set upon me. And when I take a commitment, I'm very committed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I do take a commitment, I'm very good at holding it. That's mm -hmm. my constitution is like that. So in a lot of ways, the physical health thing really appeals to me. Hmm. Now, not all Sikh Dharma people are physically healthy, you know, and Yogi Bhajan was famous for Maoan popcorn and M&Ms. You know, he wasn't exactly like the greatest physical specimen, right? He found food and, and sugar and stuff like that. I mean, sugar is still on the table and that's a big bugaboo for me as well, you know? Mm -hmm. um, there are things that I think I'd be better off without but would require a pretty epic commitment, like a life commitment to, to do. And it's really interesting when you see it this way because it's almost like a seesaw. That is the turban and the not cutting the hair. First of all, a guy like me doesn't cut his hair. That could, you know, literally be a Bigfoot sighting at a certain point. <laughs> you know, like people would think a Yeti was living in Florence. <laughs> like, it's one thing if you don't really grow hair that much. Like, you'd be fine. I would be fine. You'd be totally fine. You never have to shave your legs or anything like that. Like, no one would know. No one would know the difference. But for me, like, this would be... I don't even... I think the health department might pass a visit. Let's just put it that way. So... But it's interesting to conceive of the turban and the not cutting the hair is almost like the counterweight to making sure that the other commitments are kept as well because mm. it is such a, it's like such a visible commitment of something. So mm. I actually think the not drinking and not eating meat would be much easier for me than the wearing the turban because the wearing the turban would set me apart. I do think I would get used to it and I think the people around me would get used to it. I mean, we live in a place where like tolerance is is a key word and mm. I think to its credit like there's some there's sometimes where that go, might go overboard or fail but I think the basis of where we live is, is really good in that way like I don't you know but who knows so, I wouldn't know until I had actually experienced it and I like the idea of wearing a turban for you know 10 days and just being like how do people perceive me? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, that would take some explaining too because I'd run into people I know and they'd be like, so what's going on? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, it's just, just a 10-day thing. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, if anyone could pull it off, it's you. Uh, I, don't I just know. am curious. So, you know, it's not, you can make a, your own vow to not eat meat, to not drink. Mm -hmm. If if you really are, it's, if that's you know, the draw for you to join this It's this just Dharma. such a heavy institution that it's a real vow. Like, that's just all there is to it. So you're really looking for the community and for the support and for the identity, actually. And for the gravitas of the commitment. Because I would take that, just like I take our marriage very seriously, I would take that very seriously. You know, and that, again, is something I can really relate to. You know, like this is a big thing. This is a theological thing. Mm -hmm. This is a. This is a. This is not just me saying, I'm not going to drink and or you know eat meat or something like that. I can do that, and it'll last for three or four months, and then I'll think, you know, that's fine. Why am I doing this? Like, I'm not. I don't have a drinking problem. I can drink moderately, mm -hmm. and then I, you know, and then I drink moderately. I and, know. But then it's not necessarily a plus in my life. I mean, this brings me to sort of the crux of my own amb ambivalence about it, which is, yeah, I, I, I'm fine. I am a healthy person. I don't drink to excess. I don't, I probably eat too many, too much candy and chocolate, but, you know, 
but what I'm really interested in is 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 expanding my own capacity as a human to uh, you know in in day to day life, and that's what you feel at solstice. Like I said, you know, you're being stretched, you're being challenged, um, and I guess I am curious and a little bit suspect about how my very comfortable life in Florence with, you know, my Trader Joe's and my neat little schedule inhibits growth and inhibits, um, yeah, just, just a sense of, am I really, am I really doing it, this life the best way that I can? Am I really, is this it? You know, um, and what are our what are these other attachments we're talking about, and how profound are they really? Exactly. Like when exactly. I think about you know like whoa, well, people will see me as a Sikh doing a radio show. It's like wait a second, that really is doesn't sound very strong. You know that sounds like I'm just trying to like hide in the woodwork of society and what's acceptable and not very remarkable. Well, that's it. Hiding in the woodwork of society, I think, is. Is something that I really want to stay, be careful of, of, you know, that's complacency to some extent, you know, and, and I'm very, uh, I'm scared of that because I know how susceptible I am to just, just getting by. And yeah, like most human beings, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so the, the sort of vows, you know, taking these vows is very appealing to me and yet... I'm just curious about this question of, is it contrived? Am I sort of reaching for something to solve that problem for me? Or can well, I? Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I think at this point, I'd say no. Like, you're, you've been practicing this for decades now almost, and you've had a very healthy practice. This is not, you saw an ad in the back of a newspaper and went to you know, Antelope, Oregon, to become a sannyasin, or me. Although I have to say, it's very interesting. Every time I go to solstice, everyone thinks it's my first solstice. <laughs> you know, like, and there's like these group of, I think they're usually women who are like on a committee to make people feel welcome. They always come up to me. And it's the same people I've seen now six years. <laughs> and they'll say, oh, it's your first solstice. I'm like, no, I remember you from last year. <laughs> you know, they really, pers- yeah, well, you know, I get it. You know, maybe I'm wearing an Adidas jacket or something. I don't present necessarily. I mean, I have a beard and stuff like that. But I had that experience out there where everyone thinks I'm brand new to the practice. I also don't look like a yogi particularly. I'm not that flexible. So I get it. It doesn't offend me. Um, but I do think that, you know, that when, when I think that when we were talking about like what would keep us from wearing a turban, that actually feels not like a good reason. I'm actually compelled to tell this story about um, when I saw this Sikh wearing a turban in an airport. I was coming back from my grandmother's funeral, and um, it was just a very it was a very tough time. My grandmother had died, and there was a lot of grief, and you know, death kicks up a lot of uh, deep rooted family dynamics, and and so I was just kind of unmoored and and discombobulated. And I uh, was holding my son, Rockwell. He was just a few months old at the time. And I saw a woman, a white Sikh, who I could recognize, of course, as being part of my practice, in line uh, at the checkout. 
And I just had this overwhelming sense of relief just seeing her and, and feeling connected to her and to the path. And um, I felt like it was one of these signs, you know, like mm-hmm. my family, it, you know, is one track. And then here I had this other sort of symbol of this other part of my life. And we got to talking and I learned all about her life story. And she was from L.A. and she lived in an ashra- She lived in Yogi Bhajan's ashram. And she asked if I was a teacher. And I said, yes, I was. And she was amazed by that because she's always been quite shy about being a teacher. So she can devote herself to the communal living and to wearing the bana. Um, but she, she didn't dare teach class, which mm. I thought was pretty interesting, you know, that each of us has our own kind of uh, hurdles, you know, to overcome. And maybe that's another part of this, too, is, is that we're sort of granted, um, we're granted choice, free will in this life to decide how best to serve I mean, in the, you know, some language, it might be our destiny. I know you have issues with that idea that we, that we have a destiny. I'm not sure how I feel about it, though I do feel for me that there is some, something that is pulling at me to, to continue to move. I'm moving towards something. Um, but anyway, it was, you know, seeing her was just a really, really wonderful gift. And I, of course, wouldn't have recognized her if she was just if she was not wearing the bana. Sure, of course, and that is, that's a factor too, is that a community is formed by their shared commitment, by their shared experience and all right. that. I mean, mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense. And deprivation or feeling outside is, can be really bonding. Now, I really appreciate how the Sikh Dharma people deal with it. I, don't, I think that they're really encouraged to go out into society. They're not encouraged to group up and behind an ashram. There are ashrams, but even the ashrams usually are really small and are part of the town that they're living in. By the way, you know, we're already like uh, 48 minutes in the show. We haven't talked about the fact that the first time... So we were just talking about how every time I go to Solstice, people think um, it's my first time. But the actual first time I went to Solstice, (laughs) I was married in a Sikh wedding to you. So it might be worth, I mean, there's an obvious connection of vows there, but let me just set the stage, which is for what we had already been married. We had a beautiful wedding in upstate New York. It's a really great wedding. But you had reached out to the community and said, I don't know if this is possible. Can I get married out there during solstice? Because there's the Sunday before the meditations, there are weddings in the Gujwara at the tantric shelter. And there's usually one or two weddings each year there. And there's weddings off the site as well. But it's a time where people get married. And surprisingly, they said yes, that you could. And even though you, you had not taken your vows or I had not taken my vows. So my first solstice, I was actually seated in front of people who were Sikhs getting married to you. And I didn't even have a beard at that point. I mean, I really did look brand new. Like, kind of like I'd wandered in uh, like been kidnapped at the airport and forced to marry you a little bit, which was not the case. But you know, this is—I was at the point where my legs would fall asleep if I was cross-legged for two minutes, and I was cross-legged for 25 minutes, and then had to circle the gurdwara, the book, and and uh, yeah, it was—it was pretty. It was an intense introduction to the community, and yeah, so yeah, that is true. Um, oh yeah, it is true. And it was on your only your second year. 
So we've actually had a Sikh wedding, yeah. which is really, you know, it's almost like I don't, it's like not part of my life for some weird reason because it was such an odd <laughs> moment. But Yeah, but in some ways that's kind of what I'm talking about. I mean, what I, what I was brought up to, to think about Sikhism as, as it is uh, sort of presented by Yogi Bhajan and the Sikh community is, is it's, it's really a way of life. It's less about being a dogma, yeah. but a, really a way of life in that it invites all, um, all belief systems, all peoples, all creeds. And the book, the Guru, Guru Granth Sahib, I think it's called, is a collection of um, verse from wise people across the ages. Yeah, you know, so it's 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 from Sufi people, it's from Hindu people, it's from you know all master well, teachers. I gotta say that it's such an interesting location where the Sikhs are. I mean, it is a kaleidoscope of religion mm. there, and right. I'm sure Northern India. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe more than any other spot on the map except Israel, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But even more so because the Hindu aspect and the other, the Zoroastrianism, and I mean, it's all like a whirlpool of belief systems mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure, though not positive, that Sikhism is, is definitely like a blender of a lot of different beliefs. Mm-hmm. But particularly, you know, you have aspects of Islam and aspects of Hinduism yep. in there. And they're really, you know, that's... That space, that physical space. Is I think Sufism is the closest relative mm-hmm. to Sikhism. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was born in the same region and, sure. and with a similar intent. Well, and I Sufism is a, is a kind of Islam. Yep. But it is definitely a, a mystical kind of Islam. And it, it has its own kind of like many different tributaries going into it as well. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, that whole region is fascinating to me. Anything from, I, I really, I ran over to... Uh, you know, Bangladesh is like theologically fascinating kaleidoscope mm, of right. different belief systems. And, you know, it's just fascinating. It's someplace that I'd really like to go sometime. Yeah, so definitely. So that, that's really high on my list. So just to bring us back, the, yeah. my intention with having that Sikh ceremony was I had seen the wedding before and it just, you know, I wanted our commitment to each other to... Um, have that kind of gravitas. That's what I was interested in in making this commitment to you is is almost like, and we've talked about this, but, you know, learning how to uh, be married in, and stay married feel, felt like a real spiritual uh, challenge, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that I was going to have to let go of a lot, a lot of what you know, I was used to and a lot of my freedom and all of that kind of stuff. But I was interested in that challenge. But I did want to have a kind of really deep stake of uh, reinforce, reinforcing that um, intention. And that's why I wanted the Sikh wedding. I mean, our wedding had that with uh, our, our ceremony and stuff like that, but it wasn't directly related to the practice. So Right, and I actually think that in a lot of ways, as great as our ceremony was, it was, it was more of a potpourri of different things, mm-hmm. you know, whereas the Sikh thing, it's not that, you know, it is, it has a lot of influences, but it's, it has the heft of, you know, a thousand years. It has the yeah. heft of a real focus, which really appeals to me. You know, I really, I, I love that kind of heftiness of institutions. Yep. Um, well, we're going to... 
We're going to start heading for the hills here, okay? That's what we do at the end of the show. We start climbing up the mountainside, coming out of that verdant valley and going back up to the high, clear air. And so on that note, another thing we do is we talk about what the week holds for us. What's going on for you this week? Oh, um, well, I'm working with my good friend Liz Solomon on developing a proposal. We're starting a company together, so we're getting that together, and that's really my focus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be, that could be really, that's really exciting stuff. Well, Jonesy, if you're listening, I'd like to play tennis tomorrow. I don't know if you're open tomorrow morning. I'm <laughs> meeting with a guy, I didn't tell you this, who just moved into the Valley, who taught history in North Carolina. Oh. He wants to know a little bit about jobs in the Valley, so oh. I'll meet with him tomorrow morning. Cool. I got to hook up that dehumidifier in the basement. Yeah, I was wondering. When yeah, that was it's been a long journey. <laughs> so much, so much to do. So much to do. Well, listen, folks. Uh, next week we'll be back, and we really enjoy being your avatar here on Sunday from noon to two in WMUA Amherst. We'll be listening to a little bit of Father John Misty. You guys have a great week.